Welcome to Lawyers on the Block, a crypto law podcast from Roman Kubiak and myself, Kieran Forsyth, in the Private Wealth Group here at Hugh James. Over the series, we'll be looking at some of the major issues and hot topics in the crypto and digital asset space right now. Trigger warning, we are lawyers, so we'll inevitably talk about some of the legal issues involved. But don't worry, we'll try to keep the legal jargon to a minimum. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining in again. It's been a, a few weeks since we we last recorded some podcasts, and we've just been sourcing some good material for everyone. So, and hopefully today's is that. Hopefully it's good. I think Roman came up with quite a good title here called well, FTX Sake. I think that's how you want me to say it. Roman, is that right? Yeah, I think that's about what we can get away with anyway, certainly. So yeah, absolutely. Which, which sort of gives a, a little insight into what we're going to discuss today. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's filled with uh, all sorts of acronyms, this one, FTX, SBF. And I think we're trying to work out WTF is going on. Um, absolutely <laughs> with all of this so i mean of course ftx uh, you know the background to it it all exploded towards the the end of last year november last year wasn't it that's yeah. right and it was it was over a couple of days wasn't it when really re- things really went from good to just probably the most atrocious thing to happen in crypto history potentially horrific yeah i mean a very very quick background for anyone that 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 doesn't know is FTX was set up by Sam Bankman-Fried, who... Now, is it is it Sam Bankman-Fried or Sam Bankman-Fried? I mean, either way, he's getting a grilling. Pardon the uh, awful <laughs> pun. <laughs> yeah, terrible. But, terrible. Well, he's fried he, now, I think. He is, yeah. Poor, well, I say poor guy, but he's not, yeah. Perhaps he was freed, but he's fried now. Although I don't actually know. I'm not sure. I mean, I, I think it's all going to be quiet in terms of what's actually really happened to him well he's yeah i think he's he's returned now well i say returned extradited from the bahamas wasn't he and uh he's more colloquially known as sbf wasn't he he was that's right touted as the next warren buffett or heralded as the next warren buffett and then you know the darling of the crypto world and crypto space and then as you say we've had this this big crash which you know we just got over the the terra luna crash and then all of a sudden there's there's this one, but um, yeah. So, okay, so what's the background then to FTX and to SBF? Yeah, well, FTX itself was a a cryptocurrency exchange and trading platform. So, but for anyone that that yeah. perhaps hasn't picked up on this podcast, or this is the very first foray into understanding what crypto is all about, that is very much the same as as you would have the London and New York stock exchanges. It just deals with the exchange of cryptocurrency as an asset. Rather than sort of traditional sort of stocks, shares, securities, derivatives and the like. That's right. Yeah. So an F- FTX was the centralized cryptocurrency and crypto token equivalent. And it, it was a big player, the third largest globally behind Binance, who we will come across again in this podcast, and Coinbase, which a lot of people have heard. I think a lot of people have heard of Coinbase in, in the UK, especially. It was huge, wasn't it? I mean, it was it was sponsoring everything. It was sponsoring, sponsored the Miami Heat Arena. I think Tom Brady was linked to it, yeah. wasn't he? Stephen Curry, Shaq. Remember Shaq That's Attack, right. Shaq. You know, all these big names were linked yeah. to it. And, and now they're all kind of 
shying looking to extricate themselves or yeah shying away from shying away from it yeah yeah i mean understandably so but i mean to put it into context roman i mean in terms of figures ftx was huge i mean the the value of it what what was the value again i think it was worth well the figures here were 32 billion dollars and it went from a value of 32 billion dollars apparently to filing for bankruptcy in the space of a matter of days. days yeah and so SBF, Sam Bankman-Fried, he was, a, he was an MIT graduate, wasn't he? And he'd, he'd set up this company, Alameda. That's right. And had enjoyed some pretty good success off the back of that, hadn't he? So having, oh, he co-founded it. And that was a hedge fund, basically, a crypto hedge fund. And it was named after his hometown. And that was, he'd done that in about 2017. And off the back of that, he then ventured into rather from, away from the hedge fund into the, the crypto exchange. Yeah. And that's where FTX came about. And I mean, that was in 2019. You think in three years, achieved a valuation of 32 billion. And a lot of that, again, we've spoken before, haven't we, about bubbles. And you always hear of bubbles in the crypto space and about tulip mania. That was our, one of our, our last podcasts. We talked about tulip mania. And surprise, surprise, again, this was the same thing. And huge amounts of money went into this into promoting yeah. it, into into clever marketing. They raised about four hundred million in a in a funding drive. Mm. And as I said, they sponsored the Miami Heat arena and all of this promotion. But then the uh crash. It, it all yeah, exactly. It all started to uh, unravel, didn't it? So so what okay. happened? What do we know about the unraveling? Yeah, and I, I think before we, we, we touch on the unraveling, I think it's worth saying that I think it's all a bit unfair because Yes, cryptocurrency and digital assets get their, well, they get some negative press and well, a lot of it in terms of being dicey assets. But there was, there was 32 billion in here that seemingly for the investors was doing well. But I think here, as opposed to putting the spotlight on the actual risk and volatility of these digital assets here, it's actually the risk and volatility of the corporate governance in those two entities. So. It's an interesting one to talk about because we were talking about individuals and and the way they governed it versus the actual volatility of the holdings per se. Of course, that all spiraled out of control. Once the governance was the bad governance was coming to the fore, then the volatility comes through. But But we had that in 2008 with Lehman Brothers. Exactly right. Those those weren't crypto assets. It was was the markets losing confidence. Understandably, it was... It was a light being shone on on the issues there of, as you say, poor governance of bad practice. And whether this was crypto or any other assets we'd be dealing with, the result would have been the same. It would have been a very quick, sudden crash in an investigation. So as you say, it happens to be crypto in this space, but that comes down to lack of governance and a lack of regulation. And we'll be looking at regulation another podcast obviously because the uk government has just announced a consultation on that but alas i digress (laughs) yeah no that's absolutely right and and so just to explain the the kind of initial happenings of all of this i think it was on november the the second that coindesk uh followed by many many thousands and, and millions of people published a concerning article about ftx and alameda research and it went into detail on claims that Alameda Research's main asset was FTT, which was the native FTX token. And of course, this was a concern because FTX was using FTT as collateral on the balance sheet 
which meant that the assets were tied to a risky and volatile token, naturally leading to worries about all of those that, that had put their money and, and concerned about the capital of FTX and, and Alameda. The questions were whether Binance had leaked this. Changpeng Zhao, the chief exec of Binance, at one time, he'd had money invested in FTX. and mm. But as FTX grew, some say that, oh, well, hang on a second, you know, perhaps we shouldn't be helping our competitors. And there is a bit of this kind of pantomime rivalry between Zhao and SBF. You know, one's the more risk averse is pushing for greater regulation that Zhao with Binance yeah. and SPF, I think, was more you know, enjoyed decentralized, unregulated nature, some would say, of FTX. So the two were starting to, to use a blockchain analogy, they were starting to fork, weren't they, and uh, go off in their own separate ways. And I think it is uncomfortable when you've got FTX using its own token, or well, so when you've got the company linked to it, using FTX's token as its collateral, it's... Well, anyway, so that was, yeah, so that was the, that was what was published on the second. And then Zhao makes his appearance, doesn't he, about four days later. Yeah, that's right. So November the 6th. And I think this feeds into what you were saying about potentially, you know, where did this all, what was the provenance of, of all of this? Because based on the CoinDesk report, Binance then ex- announces, sorry, that it was going to sell around 530 million worth of FTT, which of course would be a huge, a huge blow. Then investors followed. So this caused the price of yeah. FTT tokens to, to drop as investors rushed to take their money out of FTX, figuring that this would be the next crypto company to collapse. FTX then couldn't they process couldn't these. Couldn't deal with it, ro- could they? Yeah, that's right. A bit like the Northern Rock situation, yeah. although albeit in a very, very virtual world <laughs> as opposed to lining up the streets. Of, it was, of, that was it. It was a classic run on the bank, wasn't it? The run on the crypto bank. You know, and it's in the same way. I think people have accused. Well, Musk is currently being, you know, questioned about this. But you know, all of a sudden, if if Tesla pulls out of its Bitcoin investments, people panic, and there's a run, yeah, run there, and Bitcoin plummets. Yeah. The same thing happened here. Binance pulled out, and this run on FTX, I think, apparently reached some six billion dollars, isn't it? And and they couldn't do that. So what they did is what. What many banks did, what Northern Rock, I think, from memory did, they then put a freeze on withdrawals. Yeah, and 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 that's the point that you know, of course, here you're talking about all sorts of international cross-border issues with dealing with a, a company that really runs its operations out of Bahama. Yeah, and these investors would have been from all over the world. So then, you know, how how do you get? It must have been incredibly frustrating. I don't know anyone that had holdings within FTX, but I can only imagine. I mean, you're talking six billion trying to come out. You can only imagine the levels of holdings of some people that that had in there. Um, must have been incredibly stressful. I mean, I'm, I'm pleased to say that I didn't. No, but again, off the back of of this, I did see some of my crypto investments drop in the same way they did after the lunar cl- collapse. So. Yeah. I mean, they're picking yeah. up now, and I have seen them pick up now because I think, well, again, you know, we'll get on to why that may be. But um, yeah, and then I think the the real crunch point was on November eighth, wasn't it, where where Binance announces their agreement to actually buy FTX. They had reached a non-binding agreement to purchase FTX <laughs> <laughs> to help with this liquidity crunch, but 
the due diligence. SBF was delighted, wasn't yeah. he? So he started saying, it's all okay. Everything's fine. Effectively, we've been saved. There were tweets going out and, you know, our, our savior is here. Saved by big boy Joe Binance. Saying, yeah. And, they, you know, Binance was saying, whoa, 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 hang on a second. No, 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 no. There's still a lot of due diligence to do here. And then having done that, three days later, FTX files for yeah. bankruptcy. Yeah. And I think the due diligence had had picked out that there was mishandling of customer funds and, of course, the alleged U.S. agency investigation. So, of course, they're not going to be buying that company. And then you're absolutely right. November 11, uh, FTX files for bankruptcy with all of its subsidiaries. Yeah. And then the shockwaves started and still continue. And this is when they started kicking the tires on this, didn't they? And there have been concerns that you know, some reports have said that what should have been ring-fenced customer funds were being used to finance the marketing projects and other investments, which, I mean, goes against every sound financial practice there is. And, and then that, that then, you know, led eventually to it, to its downfall. So, yeah, I mean, what's surprising about this is, and this perhaps talks about the, the infancy of both this sector and also the, I guess, the, the lack of business acumen or savviness perhaps of the, some of the people running it. Now, I'm not just saying it's contrary to what you'd see in any other situation. SBF was quite happily talking to the media in the run-up to this, during it, after it. You know, the, the lawyers must have been having a frenzy and, Rick and PR people having huge, oh, huge panic attacks. And we started yeah. blaming it on massive management failures and poor accountancy practices. But, you know, I mean, his tone since then has changed, hasn't it? So, and I think he's going to, you know, testify in front of Congress. He did. He was subsequently arrested in the Bahamas. He'd given, you know, what he said was a tell-all interview to reporters. It's it's just, I mean, it's quite unbelievable, really. You know, that there's, I mean, the figures now are saying that there were some $8 billion of customers' funds which were missing. They're now looking at, well, prosecutors have accused him of, basically creating an epic fraud and he's obviously pleaded not guilty but as mm. he's essentially said well you know i was i was fairly unsophisticated in this it was it's unbelievable well it it, it is and I, I was trying to trying to dig into the detail of how it all you know how it really all did start and and what did binance see that they didn't like you know what was the what was the provenance of all of that and i saw an interesting article where it said of course, with the link with FTT and, and FTX, the direct link between them, FTT was used to make risky loans and bets. And there was a, a failed bet, which included a 500 million loan agreement due to be paid by Alameda Research, I believe, which couldn't. And SPF then transferred 4 billion of FTX funds. Well, maybe not SPF himself. Got to be careful what, what you say. But <laughs> yeah. There was a transfer of four billion of FTX funds to Alameda Research, supposedly to prop them up. So the kind of chaotic business model you see there, of course, then Binance decides to sell its holdings, which led to the run and, and six billion of assets are, are stripped out within two days um, by investors. There was he had the interview with the BBC, and he says, and I mean, this this is the quote from the BBC that just before his arrest, he said. I didn't knowingly commit fraud. I mean, it's not, I didn't. I didn't knowingly yeah. commit fraud. Yeah. I don't think I committed fraud. I didn't want any of this to happen. 
I was certainly not nearly as competent as I thought I was. We deal with fiduciary duties every single day. We look at, we, we change the decisions of deputies, of executives, of trustees. We advise professional trustees and deputies as to their duties. And, you know, you've, we've seen examples of good practice. We've seen examples of bad practice. But for someone who's launching into this sector, who's got a big, you know, established a, a huge hedge fund, who was then the CEO of a trading platform with 32 billion, with a valuation of 32 billion, to then say, I certainly wasn't as competent as I thought I was, is pretty terrifying. <laughs> well, it, it is. Yeah. And I think it goes back to exactly what you were saying before that there is a, a potentially juvenile approach in terms of, you know, running these companies and, and not juvenile in, in the sense of their, their characters, but juvenile in the sense of financial ability. I, I think, yeah. I think the chief operating officer had graduated in 2016, something like that. So there's, there's not a whole lot of, and, and if you look on YouTube at some of the interviews with the high level C suite guys within FTX and Alameda, I, I think, yeah, perhaps there was, there was some want for some gray hairs. On, on the table. I mean, it's it's quite interesting. I mean, how 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 does it all work? With, you know, with the the FTX customers in in the bankruptcy proceedings, and I, I think you had picked out something quite important here, I mean, which So, I mean, in terms of those in the UK, there was a freedom of, freedom of information request, which suggested that well, there were some thirteen individuals who'd complained to Action Fraud about FTX in the run up to this, and there were concerns in the run up to this anyway about mm. the lack of regulation. I know. The FCA had had issued warnings about FTX looking to trade here without regulation. I think there's some reported losses of about 1.1 million. But the so what you've got, I mean, most of this, most of the actions will be in the states, but they're much like here. Here we have the financial services compensation scheme, so you know, your assets are protected up to a certain amount. If the banks fail, I think it's from memory about 85,000 there. Yeah. The states, I think it's up to $250,000. So they, they can get tied up into, into bankruptcy proceedings, but it is, to be fair, relatively uncharted waters because, you know, what will happen is the trustee in bankruptcy here takes over, you know, if it, well, depends, you know, if it's a, it's a corporate entity or if it's an individual, but then you look at paying the creditors, are there secured creditors, are there unsecured creditors, and you join the, the list and it's, often pence in the pound. Mm. Now, you don't really want to be joining that list of creditors. If you kind of avoid it, and there are certain ways you can avoid certain trusts. You know, so there's uh, here in the UK, we have what are called quiz-closed trusts, which is where assets are ring-fenced. And provided your assets are ring-fenced, they're spared from being used as in settlement of bankruptcy proceedings. Now, the slight glimmer of hope, I think, is the term that was used, is that FTX's terms and conditions stated that the investor remained the legal owner of any crypto assets on their account, not FTX. So assuming that's the case, then they may avoid being treated as unsecured creditors. But again, this is very, very uncharted waters and you know, the danger is that yes, these are within the terms and conditions. How, you know, how by now, how much they'll help, we don't yet know. But in the States, I mean, obviously, you know, customers are being encouraged to seek legal advice. And the same, I'd say, here in the UK, you know, to urge those who have mm-hmm. lost out, seek legal advice because this isn't, this isn't 
akin to the cases we've been discussing, yeah. which we'll look at more on about the person's unknown, that favorite defendants in many crypto cases. Here, we know, we know who the defendant is. We know what the issues are. And we're looking at a, a potentially a class action or a group claim because all these people have suffered loss. There's, there's potentially one defendant here. So, you know, there is, there is, a, there is some hope here. Whether they look, they join the list of unsecured creditors or whether yeah. their funds are ring fenced. Now, I believed. I mean, as I said, there were you know some you know some assets have been recalled. That some assets have apparently been located. Some five billion pounds, which is good news. I mean, it's a small drop in the ocean compared to the big losses. But absolutely. And then there's the there's the new FTX box boss John Ray. Yeah, he's been saying that he wants to to bring back the crypto firm. A complete, he said, I've never seen such a complete failure of corporate controls. And he saw, you know, he said it was unprecedented. I mean, that's, that's a word we heard a lot over COVID, but now it's being used with crypto. And, and he's, you know, this is, this is the guy who's overseen the bankruptcy of Enron. You know, so it's massive. And, and he's, he's talking, he's saying that this is unprecedented. So he's now looking at recovering as much value as possible for those who've lost money. So, I mean, they're saying eight billion pounds worth of funds have got were missing. Mm. They're recovering those, but I guess it's a case of watch this space. I mentioned the FSCS, Financial Service Com- Compensation Scheme, but the Chief Data Intelligence and Tech Officer there, Sabre Carter, on the twentieth of December, she published an, an opinion piece on this, and you know, she started by saying you know, that crypto assets are impossible to ignore, and she cited specifically FTX and the shockwaves it caused. In the sector now, interestingly, you'd think someone, someone like that, you know, might perhaps sound warning bells across the whole of crypto and tarnish it all. But, but actually, no, she's saying the very, well, not very, very opposite, but she's saying, look, there is a crypto bubble, but she's saying that there are comparisons that can be drawn between that and the dot com boom. You know, the fact is that she's saying that crypto isn't dead. This is, you know, that this is one failure. There'll be many more failures, but it's a bump in the road, albeit she acknowledges a pretty big one. I mean, yeah. saying it's a bump in the road to someone who's lost millions is probably little comfort. But she says what it will do, and I agree with this, is that it doesn't mark an end. To, you know, dot-com bubble didn't mark an end to the internet. What it does is it helps to improve the legal and regulatory structures, which manages to make sure that people are looked after. And, you know, I mean, she was at pains to stress that, the FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority, doesn't regulate most crypto assets. So people need to be aware of that. So ultimately, they're not protected. But these market disruptors, they're good. They empower ordinary people. There is this, you know, the good of crypto with, you know, its deregulated nature. It's things she particularly noted how it helped was with Ukraine. Yeah, being at, what was it? They were able to raise. About a hundred million or something, wasn't it? Yeah, she she specifically wrote about this, didn't she? Saying that, you know, since the the banking system came under attack by Russia earlier this year in Ukraine, and restrictions made it hard to move money around, particularly cross border. But actually, you know, crypto comes into its world and and digital assets and and the decentralized nature of it, so that over a hundred million had been raised in crypto donations, and and that was able to to go across outside of the the usual regulated banking structure. So, yeah, I, I think that was a really nice, you know, she obviously, she starts head on with FTX and says, yes, this is a, a bump, let's say, shall we say a mountain in the road, yeah, yeah. but you can go around that mountain and with a bit of regulation. And I think most laws, as we know, are, are a reaction to an event. Exactly. 
So yeah. let's hope that uh, that the regulations come in and and the benefits of of decentralized finance like this are are looked at properly when that regulation is made. That's it. And the consultation on regulating crypto was published on the 1st of February. So really recently, hot off the press. And that's available on the Gov website. And that consultation will close on the 30th of April. So we're going to do another podcast shortly to look at that regulation, to look at that consultation, look at the what it addresses, how you can get involved in helping to shape the law. Because that's the point, isn't it? Is, you know, we can all sort of complain about crypto and the fact that it's unregulated. But if we want to see it regulated, because I think the fact is it is here to stay. The technology that underpins crypto is fantastic. And we'll see how in another podcast, how actually the technology has been so crucial in helping people to trace funds because it's all recorded on the blockchain. And so it is here to stay. It's about making sure that it's safe for the consumer. Yeah, absolutely. I think that pretty much wraps it up. It's it's a good note to end on there. I mean, you, you start with a catastrophe, catastrophe, but at the end of it, there's some light. Something good will come from it in terms of regulation. A silver lining, a silver lining, isn't it? Maybe not a crypto gold lining, but a silver lining. So, thanks very much, Kurt. I think yeah, you're right. That's a, that's a, that's a nice place to end it, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks everyone for for joining, and we'll speak to you soon. Speak to you shortly. Bye. Cheers. And now we come to our Ask the Expert segment, which is the part of the podcast where you, the listener, get to ask us a crypto or digital asset question, which we'll try and do our best to answer. Today's question uh, has come through from someone who wants to remain anonymous. Uh, We don't have a name. They want to ask or get a better explanation about what a fiduciary duty or obligation means in practice. And that's very much on the back of the tulip trading case which we have discussed and which we will be discussing in the future given the very recent news but less on that otherwise i'll give everything away so i mean in a nutshell a fiduciary duty is it's a duty of loyalty owed by someone typically called a fiduciary to the other person in that relationship so i mean classic example from where we come from is a trustee to the beneficiaries of a trust or an executor to the estate and the beneficiaries or by an agent to the agent's principal or by a company directed to the company. There was a famous case or quite well-known case in 2018 where Lord Justice Leggett described the relationship as essentially something which involves loyalty and that means being guided solely by the interests of the other person and not by any consideration of the fiduciary's own interests. The way in which you should act is that of being open and honest, and you should really put yourself in a position where you're liable to account for anything that could benefit you, i.e. any remuneration that you might get. And I mean, in in that regard, you could think of a solicitor owing the fiduciary duty to his or her client, and they have to give the details and an explanation of how they have charged the client for their services. It's common when you think of company directors, of course, and there's all sorts of other types uh, where it can come through. And, And so we can see that the distinguishing obligation of a fiduciary is loyalty or fidelity. And that's really what, what it boils down to. And often 
times you'll think about a professional person who assumes that role almost automatically. We've talked about solicitor, but that would be an, an accountant would be an example. A doctor would be an example, although potentially not in the same way as what we're talking about here. And quite interestingly, and which ties back to the Tulip Trading Company situation, is um, that the courts have actually declined to to list all of the facets of what they would consider amounts to an obligation of loyalty, and they prefer to preserve flexibility, which of course allows them to modify their approach and their determination as to the particular sets of facts before them, and which is what makes the Tulip Trading Company case interesting and more on that in due course and there we have it that wraps up our podcast for today thanks for listening to lawyers on the block if you made it this far then you clearly enjoyed it so why not subscribe to make sure you hear the next episode as soon as it comes out remember nothing on this podcast is financial or legal advice But if you do want to talk to a lawyer about any crypto issues that you may have, then please do get in touch at crypto at hughjames.com.